0: He tends the fire. Praise God. That really helps me rest. I'm telling you, because it means that in the end, I am not going to be called on to construct my own fire apart from him. That's a bad scene when you build your own fires. A couple of these characters, Nahab, what's-his-face, and the other guy. You can tell I'm an Old Testament scholar. No. Uh, The the three guys, I mean, it was unauthorized. That fire wasn't right. And it was curtains for them. Man, we can rest. Jesus will send fire. It's what he does. He immerses people in that. It it can, I mean, tongues of it came down on these disciples in Acts 2. Just like... I mean, I wasn't there. I didn't record it. I didn't have my iPhone. But the thing is, this flame descends from heaven now. And the priest, the great high priest, he makes sure it won't go out. That's exciting to me. It's very encouraging. But this passage shows us something really powerful, though, because the priest did offer a sacrifice. But the sacrifice was himself. Verse 27 says, and that sacrifice, that laying down of Jesus' life, put a stop to all the other sacrifices for sins. No more bulls, goats, lambs, turtle doves. It's his life finished the requirement for atonement for sin. That's another bit of amazing news. But I want... I want to. I just want to encourage us in this. Jesus' lifestyle was one characterized by a laying down of himself. If you turn over a couple more chapters, I want to just read a little section from Hebrews ten. Do you realize that the bulls, the goats, that wasn't going to accomplish God's purpose? There needed to be a truer worship a truer sacrifice. And in Hebrews 10.8, it says, Consequently, when, when the Messiah came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and in sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. And then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book, I think this is extraordinary because, again, sometimes we're thinking about Jesus and we're thinking about his death and we're thinking about the cross. And we're thinking, you know, a lot of times during Holy Week, we just came through Holy Week, Good Friday and Easter, and we, in that week we especially meditate on what it must have been like for Jesus to realize that that day was coming and that last week of his life, just he knew what was ahead of him. But I think on the basis of this text, it's fairly obvious that Jesus wasn't just dealing with his death during Holy Week. He embraced it before he came into the world. I mean, look at that language. I mean, it's a quote from Psalm 40, but still, a body you have prepared for me. One of the early Christian heresies was that Jesus only pretended to be human, right? That he just just seemed to be human. He wasn't really human. Because God could never take on flesh. We teach the incarnation as a fundamental Christian doctrine, and for good reason. Because in the Old Testament we see the prophecy, a body was prepared for him. He took a physical form. And before he even came into that form, he was aware that it was ready. He, and he was aware what the body was for. He, before he even stepped. One foot on planet Earth, he had already committed himself to death. It wasn't something he was negotiating all along the way. His teenage friends were talking about college, and he was thinking about, well, I, I kind of have to go to the cross, you know. It wasn't like that. <laughs> he had already made the commitment. He, he had already said to the Father, I'm in. So powerful to me to think about this because the the priest had to be willing to offer whatever sacrifices were prescribed by God. And in this case, the great high priest, the one who is pure of every other one, the the one whose power and authority would would never be matched by any single human being, was told, "It's, it's you. You're the sacrifice I require. You're the lamb that needs to be slain. I am convinced that Jesus laid down his life long before he was crucified. That his his way of life was actually a way of dying. It was a way of constantly handing himself over to the Father. A, A constant devotion, a constant worship, a constant life where he was consistently saying, not my will, but yours be done. I can't believe that's the first time Jesus ever prayed that. I, I envision Jesus as a, as a young man full of the Spirit, consistently living out a pattern that the logical conclusion of that pattern was just that cross. It's not like he was going one way, And then when Judas betrayed him, he changed course and said, okay, well, I guess I'll go through with it. It was all leading to that. And that means decisions day in and day out had to be consistent with that destiny. It meant for him that nothing he would do would be inconsistent with that vocation that he received from the Father, that call, that charge, that responsibility. He stepped into a body recognizing that the very same body would be presented to the Father. He was a man of worship, because in a way he was dead while he was living. He was a walking, spiritual sacrifice. He was a walking, living sacrifice. And if that phrase sounds familiar, it's only because it's in the Bible But in this case, it doesn't apply to Jesus, but it applies to us. It's from Romans 12. Let's go there for a minute. Jesus is our paradigm, he's like the head of our new race, he's our older brother. He's the one in whose footsteps we're called to walk, 1 Peter, 1 Peter 2 teaches us. He is the author of our faith. He, he is the one who's going to finish it. He's the goal toward which we are running, right? So, in his very way of life, there is a message for us, and I believe an invitation. To say, you know, our conformity to Christ isn't just about learning how to pray. It's about learning how to die. It's about learning how to lay lay down our lives and present ourselves to him. Romans 12, after going through 11 chapters of like intense theological instruction, rehearsing the gospel story, the history of God's dealings with Jews and Gentiles and, you know, the outcome of that both now in Jewish rejection in part and Gentile salvation, but the future Israel being saved. I mean, he ends it with the doxology in verses 33 through 36 because he doesn't know what else to do. But then in in chapter 12, he starts to turn the focus, and he says, in light of the mercies of God, brothers, I appeal to you. What are the mercies of God? Well, the first 11 chapters, probably. (laughs) Like everything, everything I just laid out. Basically, Paul is saying, okay, now that we've got that settled, you know, it's, it's one of those moments. He's, he's walked his way through this entire thing, and now by the mercies of God, the ones that are exhibited in these texts, in these chapters, by those mercies, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual Worship. Now, this language at the end, spiritual worship, not crazy about it. I mean, worship is good, but I think we should include something here like priestly service. That's the way the word was used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's the way it's consistently used in the New Testament. The ministry of priests. And the original language speaks to that. And the word that's translated "spiritual" here, I, I prefer "logical," because we get a spiritual can mean a lot of things. I don't, I don't think Paul means it in, in the ways that some people mean it. So I think his, the idea is our priestly ministry to God, the the only one that makes any sense at all, the only one that carries any kind of weight. The only only kind of priestly service we can give to God that logically connects to what Jesus has done in the gospel is this. Present your bodies. Present your bodies. We saw in Hebrews 10, Jesus was given a body. And that body he presented. And it pleased the Father. It really pleased him. Good night. Jesus pleased the Father before he even did anything. At his baptism, the voice comes from heaven. This is my dear son with whom I'm well pleased. Hasn't healed anybody yet. Hasn't fed 5,000 people out of his back pocket yet. He's done nothing but just be God's son. And he pleased him. He offered his body. So Paul rehearses this whole story and says, Now you, join him in that priestly ministry. Of offering yourselves to God. Of putting yourselves on an altar. Again, it's the language of worship. It's the language of the altar. To to put a body on the altar. To to present it. So that it, it is available to God. And it can be consumed. It can be answered with fire. And we see that our role is, in a way, we are the, okay, we're Christians. That terminology spoke to our relationship to the Christ, to the Messiah. We're people whose very lives and ways are supposed to reflect His. And so in this same way, we are invited both to be priests and sacrifices. It's pretty amazing. You know, when you discover identity, it changes everything. When we, when we see who we are through the lens of Jesus, then everything can be recalibrated. And all the areas of our lives that were kind of off kilter, the places of dis, you know, disjunction and disjointedness, those things can be really sorted and reconciled and put in place, aligned right, so that when we recognize our identity, and we can joyfully step into that, we can minister to God by presenting ourselves a place of total consecration, a place of transformation and fulfillment. It's not just the offering of something to God, it's the offering of everything. I think that's the offering that invites the fire. I think that's the offering that makes the Father happy and delights Jesus himself. One more passage, and then we'll wrap up, okay? first, Tim, first Peter, I want to read a couple of verses, 1 Peter 2. I apologize for making the baby cry. I'll try better. It's really try to hit it at the end here. <laughs> Listen to this. I, I mean, I don't know how much more. My mind just kind of keeps getting blown by these things. 1 Peter Peter 2, verse 4. It says, As you come to him, he's talking here about Christ, a living stone, it's something dead but alive. You see that? Living stone. Rejected by people, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. As you come to him, you yourselves, like living stones, things that are dead but alive, are being built up. As a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. How about that? So now, not only are we the priesthood, now not only are we offering spiritual sacrifices, which I would suggest to you means ourselves, but we're the very building in which it's taking place. We get to be priests, sacrifices, and temple, all at the same time. And that's, again, because Jesus was that. Right? John chapter 2. Tear down this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it up. And they get mad, because they're like, it took 46 years, buddy. And he's like, all right, I'll just leave it there. They didn't get it. And John tells us he was speaking of the temple that was his body. He's temple. He's priest. He's sacrificed the whole bit, and all of it revolves around presence. It's the presence of God. It's marked. It's what marked Jesus more than anything else, and on that basis, we see ourselves as this priesthood, presenting ourselves to the Lord who answers by revealing His presence within His temple. We get to be that. It's incredible to me to think this way, that our, our, our lives are marked out by the life of Jesus. He, he's carved out a path, and he's invited us to come along. And that path is about laying down our lives on the one hand, and on the other, on the other hand, once we get into that place of dying, we get to break through to the other side in resurrection with him. I believe Jesus was a man on fire. He, it says in John 2 that zeal for God's house consumed him. You know, there were times when the disciples were kind of intimidated even to ask him questions. There's this one, I can't remember if it's in Mark or Luke, but there's a, there's a moment in which Jesus is marching toward Jerusalem, and they're just kind of like, I don't think we should ask that. You know, like they were, they were affected by his resolve. They were affected by his devotion. They were were affected by his single-mindedness. And I believe that the house for which he is zealous, an installment of that was the temple. But but on the other end of it is this house. This people. Not, Not just the physical building, but the community that Jesus is building himself into which He and the Father are committed to dwell. We want to be that house. And we want that house to be characterized by the same consistent offering of ourselves that we saw in the life of Jesus. We want our house to be characterized by the same consistent ministry to God that we saw in the life of Jesus. Not just at a moment's time, but always. So I think we should burn with the same flame as the king. And I think we will if we are willing to identify with the same altar. The consecration of God's choosing is the consecration Jesus demonstrated for us. That in the presence of God, the priest offered himself in worship to his father. May we join him in this true worship. One final verse comes from Psalm 51, and just by way of encouragement. I think anyone who goes at this for a while in ministry goes through periods where it just doesn't feel right. Just, you want to burn, you want the fire, but it's like, it feels exhausting. It feels like you're not doing something right, or it feels like God isn't listening. Or there's, you know, his ears are closed. Or he's busy with caring for someone else who preaches better. You know, I mean, whatever we go through in our own minds to kind of deal with that. But I, I just before I sit down, I wanted to encourage you with one final thought. It comes from Psalm 51. It's from David. And, it's a, of course, it's a prayer of repentance. But in the prayer, I believe he... He's able to address something that's absolutely critical for us. And it's consistent with our theme. I'm going to pick it up in verse 16. It says, you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. So again, David thinking of the animals and the the whole thing, thinking to himself, listen, if that would remedy the situation, I'd do it in a heartbeat. the sacrifices of god are a broken spirit a broken and a contrite heart o god you will not despise as zealous as jesus was i believe he was also a deeply broken hearted man <laughs> rejected by his own people weeping over his own capital city betrayed by one of his best friends and it wasn't in a situation of triumph and praise that he offered himself on that cross. It, it was in a situation of abandonment and brokenness. And in a way, I think it, there are times when we come across those moments in our lives where we're just just not... I don't know where that fire is, Lord. I don't know how to get there. I've, I can't find that place. And I believe a, a very simple invitation from the Lord is that, is that we, ourselves would humble ourselves, that we would just present ourselves to him afresh with a contrition, with humility. And I think he would really smile on that, and I I believe that he would really answer that kind of prayer and that kind of self-presentation with a fresh encounter with his life and grace and love. Amen. Thank you, guys.